This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Welcome to the Retire Sooner podcast. I'm your host, Wes Moss. Our mission here on the Retire Sooner podcast, of course, is to help a million people in America retire at least a year sooner. We think that's an amazingly important goal. As we know, you have 10,000 people every single month right now, every single day retiring in the United States of America. That means 3.6 million people retiring every year. That means about 30 plus million people are going to be retiring over the next decade. If we can help one out of 30 retire a year or sooner than they would have otherwise, we've just created or helped to create a million years worth of newfound economic freedom, early retirement, travel the world, whatever you want to do. So if you're in your 20s and 30s, if you can start to put this to work now, it could be way more than a year sooner. It could be like five years sooner, a decade sooner. I'd encourage you to listen to the podcast with my friend David Bach, who did this podcast via Florence, Italy, because he's all, and he did this while his kids are in high school. So he didn't even wait to start traveling the world. He wasn't even, didn't even wait till he fully retired. Talk about retiring sooner. So that is the theme here for much more than a decade. I have studied the habits of happy retirees and try to figure out, to try to learn from them, reverse engineer happiness in retirement. What does that really mean? Well, it means that if we practice the habits of the happiest retirees and we avoid the mistakes of the unhappy group, and we can start that in our 20s, but it gets more and more important every decade as you're listening to this. So it's even more important in your 30s and then your 40s and your 50s, if we can avoid the mistakes of the unhappy group, then that can give us a much better opportunity to land in the happy camp. And guess what? Oh, by the way, it's the happy group of retirees with those habits that understand what to avoid and what to practice are the ones that get to retire sooner. You know, it's a small miracle, particularly if you read financial news or any news or watch financial television, you'll continue to hear that it's almost impossible to get to retirement and that you need to be accumulating this giant pile of money. And it's all about this pile of money. Well, what is the money really supposed to be for? And I want to talk through that today. What are these mistakes that we need to avoid? And what do unhappy retirees do over and over again that land them in the camp that guess what? Doesn't get to, doesn't get economic freedom, doesn't get to retire early. So I wanted to start with that today. We're going to talk about something called the rich ratio, which is a really simple formula that you can use at any age, particularly as you're planning for retirement or thinking about retirement, to put yourself in a position where you feel rich. 
which means great economic freedom to do all the things you want to do, whether it's live by the lake, live by the shore, travel the world, live in Florence, Italy. It doesn't matter what it is. It's really about having a positive rich ratio, and I'm going to get to this, above one, the formula, a rich ratio above one, you have this great economic freedom. If it's below one, you're constantly in a financial straitjacket and you're worried about every dollar you spend. And that's not where, I know that's not where you want to be. That's not where our audience lives. Our audience lives in a place of economic freedom. And when they're spending, they're spending with joy. So let me first start with this. And uh, this is from an article that I wrote a long time ago, but all of this stands so true today. And it really comes also from the research of, I've researched and surveyed thousands of retirees in the United States. Some of them are decidedly in the happy group. Others are decidedly in the unhappy group. And what I wanted to bring to you today are some of the mistakes that that unhappy group makes. And it's not all of these necessarily, but a few of them can really add up and lead to derailing you financially. So number one, let's start with number one. And this goes back to the thought of happy retirees, really, if we are able to even get to a point of, of economic freedom, which we know that only about one in five Americans, not even one in five, ever get to that point. So you're listening to this podcast. You are Your goal here is to certainly be in that one out of five. And then, of course, there's certain there's there's different levels or different levels of economic freedom within that group itself. But what, of course, this entire group has in common is that they're good savers. So my my good friend Clark Howard talks all, all about this over and over again about how are we better savers? How are we putting money aside? How are we understanding what our spending looks like so that we can pay ourselves first? To use a term from David Bach from The Automatic Millionaire, paying ourselves first. So we all know we need to save. There's no question about that. But it's not so much about just saving. Saving, in my opinion, is really only about half the equation to get to retire sooner. It really is about investing. And I'm not talking about speculative investing. I'm not saying you're on Wall Street bets and we're buying and selling stocks every given day. I'm talking about accumulating wealth over time at this wonderful compounding rate. And again, savings is great, but if it's just saving money, that's not enough. It's saving plus investing that gets us to the point where we need to be. And one big mistake, so mistake, let's call it number one, that the unhappy retiree group makes is that they they are clouded by pessimism. And when you're pessimistic, when you're pessimistic, it's really tough to be a good investor. Because good investors understand there's always pitfalls, there's always speed bumps, there's always potholes, there's always things wrong that are in the world. That never changes. But under the surface, if you don't believe, let's say, in the United States economy, or if you live in some of the countries around the world that listen to this podcast, if you don't believe in either the U.S. economy or the European economy or the global economy, for that matter, that will continue to grow over time, then it makes it really tough for you to compound your money at 7 to 10 to more, per, whatever it might be. But we, we know the long-term average of stocks in the United States is actually north of 10%. So let's use that as an example. But you're not going to ever realize that unless you, here's the habit, check your pessimism at the door. Because unhappy retirees don't understand how to do that. Happy retirees check their pessimism at the door because it's costly. 
Fear is almost always financially devastating. And if you think about, let's go back a, a year or so, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, think about just over the last couple of decades, we think about the technology crash of 2000 and 2001, and then we got hit with 9-11 and the stock market went down over 45%. Then if you fast forward a couple of years from that, we went through the financial crisis of 2007 and eight and the mortgage meltdown and the stock market went down over 50%. And then you think about, we fast forward and we continue to repair from that and, and recover. And then we get hit with a global pandemic that in the United States, that was the, that in itself was devastating from a health and economic perspective. And then you take on top of that, a bunch of forced lockdowns, you know, government imposed lockdowns on businesses, not just in the United States, but around the world. And then you get this just massively scary period of time. And what happens? Same thing, stock market down 34 plus percent in the matter of about a month. What's the one thing that followed all of those terrifying incidences? The, the, the economies recovered. The United States economy recovered. The European economy recovered. The Asian economies recovered. And what, did, what, what ultimately ended up happening? Well, investors that were continuing to invest and believed that the future would be brighter than it today all made a ton of money. And accumulated massive wealth through those periods of time because as you're saving, saving, remember only half the question, and then investing. If we're able to invest during those difficult periods of time, which is a concept called dollar cost averaging, that you can only really fully do with great conviction if you believe in the future and you check your pessimism at the door, that's who makes money over time. And that's why you can see families that never make above 50,000, 75,000. I've, I've, I've worked with many families over the years that never made more than $75,000 a year. That might not sound like a lot of money to live this wonderfully grand retirement where you can do anything you want to do and live in Florence. But that same group also invested over time because they were optimistic about the future. And that optimism led them to this great compounding. And if you're an equity investor, again, in the United States, that's been about 10% a year. Bonds have been about 5 to 6% a year, and inflation over time has been about 3% a year. Just dividends alone over time have grown at twice the rate of inflation. Just stock dividends alone on the S&P 500 have grown at twice the rate of inflation. So there are very few things that we can find. Now, real estate is in that category. Uh, equity or stock investing is in this category. But you have to have this belief to buy a building, to be a, a landlord, to own property. You have to have optimism that the future will be better than it is today. So the a mistake, a real, real negative or a real detractor from economic freedom that the unhappy retiree makes over and over is they can't, they, they can't learn to check their pessimism at the door. Just remember that the despite all of the, the drops in the equity markets and the pullbacks in the housing markets over time, Despite all those bumps in the road, um, I'm a believer. And again, I, I don't know if I'll ultimately be right on this. It's been right for over 100 years, really more like 200 years. I think it's a pretty time-tested thought that it'll be true over the next 10 years and 50 years and 100 years, is that this economy, particularly here in the United States, will continue to flourish over time. And I think that if you can start with that as your fundamental belief that is 
pessimism is something that is financially devastating. It'll allow you to be an investor, which again, we can't get really, really difficult to get to economic freedom and retire sooner at all if we can't invest in the future. So number one, check your pessimism at the door. All right, number two, make sure that your rich ratio is over one because the unhappy retiree doesn't. So the happy retiree has a rich ratio that is below one. Now here's this wonderfully important and simple formula. So the rich ratio is, is this. Again, if you think about it this way, it's not how much money that, that you have that really matters. It's how much money you have coming in in relation to what you spend. So here's the rich ratio. It's basically this inflow. And I'd like to think of this monthly as a way we can kind of wrap our arms around this. Our monthly inflow divided by our monthly outflow. And if that number is above one, you're in very good shape, right? If you have just simple numbers, if you have inflow of $10,000 a month and you only need $5,000 to live on, now you have a rich ratio of two, wonderful. If it's the inverse of that, if you have $5,000 a month coming in and 10,000 that needs to go out the door, now you have a rich ratio of 0.5. So it's below one. That is poor in anyone's book. So let me, let me walk through just a quick example of, uh, let's say you get to, your early 60s and Social Security kicks in and you might have maybe one, either you or your husband or you and your wife worked at a company that maybe has a little bit of a pension. If you're 20s and 30s, like, Wes, what are you talking about? There's no pensions. Pension, by the way, uh, for some of our audience is, is a company paying you a monthly amount for the rest of your life. Now, it's not necessarily just a company, but this still happens in the world of education. So teachers still get pensions. Government employees still get pensions. Uh, the utility companies or utility energy companies typically provide pensions for their employees, even, even younger folks. Uh, so the pension system isn't completely dead. It's just less prevalent than it was 50 years ago. So it's not uncommon for me to find a happy retiree that has an old pension that, oh, that's well, not that much. It's only 1500 bucks a month. But whoa, 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 wait a minute. So let's go do some inflows here. We've got Social Security for one spouse. Let's call it $2,000 a month. Social Security for another spouse, $2,000 a month. Pension, uh, that's an old pension, not a lot. What's up? $1,500 a month. Well, that what's that add up to? That's $5,500 a month. Now, we know that the happy retiree needs to at least get to $500,000. Of course, more continues to be more and more cushion, more income, of course. But if we take, let's say we get to our happy retiree bare minimum, $500,000 at our 4% plus rule. So let's call it 4.5% of $500,000. That's $22,500 a year or about 18, almost 1,900 bucks a month. Now, my $5,500 from social and pension turns into 73, almost 7,400 bucks. Well, if I don't have a mortgage and I'm only spending five grand a month, What's my rich ratio? It's almost one and a half. That is great wealth and great economic freedom. Do the inverse of that. Imagine that you have 5,000 total coming in, but your spending is 73.50 for my, in, the inverse of the example I just did. That's a rich ratio of 0.68. You're feeling financially backed into a corner over and over and over again. And it's no way to live. And it's not a way to retire sooner. So make sure your rich ratio is one plus because the unhappy retirees, their rich ratio is sub one. Next up on the docket, unhappy retirees spend less than five hours a year when it comes to 
any sort of financial planning whatsoever. Now you might say to yourself, well, that doesn't even sound like a lot. Five hours a year, I could do five hours a year. A lot of Americans don't do, don't even do that at all because they, first of all, sitting down and doing a budget isn't, isn't, it's just not overly exciting to do, right? It's just not a fun thing. It's, you'd much rather find a great show on Netflix. The, to, so to sit down and do any sort of budgeting, it's just, it, 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 it's not exciting. Number one. Number two, there is all of this emotional baggage and fear around money and investing and, ah, do I want to look? And, hey, I don't have as much as I thought I might have. Hey, we're overspending. It's easy to kind of put your head in the sand and not plan. And that's, that happens all the time. And what, what you end up doing is you don't spend an hour or two every quarter of the year. I think in quarters for some reason, the first quarter or the year, second quarter. Think about this. If you spend an hour or two once a quarter, you get to five hours a year. Well, that doesn't sound like a lot. It's not a big commitment, but mo most Americans never get there and never do that. So the unhappy retiree, one of the main mistakes they do is they stick their head in the sand and they don't spend the at least five hours a year, again, not a tall order or a high bar here, planning and budgeting for retirement. That's all we need to do. Five hours plus per year. Number four, I, I've seen this in practice over and over again. And this is a one of these sneak, these things that'll financially sneak up on you and can really make a big hole in the side of the ship. And that's delaying big ticket items or big ticket endeavors until after you retire. Now, when I say big ticket items, what, what do I mean by that? Do I, does that mean I go out and buy, buy, buy you know, the very best Tesla on the market? That's, that's some of it, but it's also endeavors like big home renovations, putting on a new roof, a new HVAC system, because when we get into retirement, the last thing we want to have happen is we get hit with unexpected financial burdens. And the happy retiree understands, look, I want to get financially prepared for retirement. And if I end up doing a renovation, I need new floors, and the new floors turn into a new kitchen, a new bathroom, I can, if, if I overspend on a particular project, then I can still make up for it. Maybe I work an extra six months. Maybe I do something else financially that then kind of covers up that overspending mistake. Uh, it's also, if I'm going to do a big ticket item, I want to do that typically while I'm working. So if I do want to go out and get that fancy Tesla, which I don't even know what these things cost. I think you can spend, you can spend anything you want on a Tesla. You can probably spend about eighty dollars to $100,000 on a Tesla easily. You can go more than $100,000 on a Tesla. And of course, you can spend a couple hundred thousand dollars on cars. And, and that to me is, again, I don't know, it's something about cars. No matter what decade we're in, whether in the, the 40s or the 50s or the year 2021, th there is this great allure of vehicles. And the Corvette of yesterday, now today, maybe is the new Tesla. I don't know. Or the brand new great SUV. My children, again, they've grown up in digital kids still love everything about vehicles. And one day they want to do two things. They want to get a, a car. They still care about zero to 60, which is amazing to me because even though I, I love that too, nobody ever goes zero to 60 in three seconds. It doesn't matter, right? Zero to 60 in like six seconds is still pretty awesome. Number one. And number two, for some reason, they all want to live in, my, this is kids. This is, this is my kids. And I think other, let's call it grade school. They want to live in modern mansions. 
Dad, did you see that modern mansion? I'm like, yeah, looks like a, it looks like a kind of a boring modern house to me. That's what I, Dad, if I had all the money in the world, you know what I'd do? I'd get a modern mansion. And I thought to myself, why are you so, whatever happened to the beautiful craftsman? Whatever happened to the, the, the modern Tudor house? Kids don't want to do that. And here's why. It's because what have they seen on YouTube? Well, they've seen YouTubers get rich. And what do 25-year-olds get rich do? They don't buy English tutors. They buy modern mansions. And I think that's a trend that will continue over time because the Moss children, one day, if they ever make any money, that's the direction they want to go. All right, so that's big ticket items. Save your big ticket items, whether it's a brand new Tesla or some sort of renovation on an old modern mansion that you found. Do all of that before you get into retirement. And, and here's the other thought, is that retirees want, do want and do deserve and should be able to afford these toys, right? So a new boat, a new car, an RV, I don't know, maybe a, a trip around the world with the family. If we can do that and plan for those big ticket items before we stop working, all the better. Number five, here's a huge mistake that retirees will make. They will wait until they have fully retired to make a move. Rather than waiting, what the happy retiree does is says, wow, I have this great freedom today, particularly in a post-COVID world where we have so much more geographic freedom, where so much, so many of our jobs can be done via Zoom or Teams or Squadcast or whatever it might be. We can really work from anywhere, not just in any state, but even internationally. Here's a, here's a true story with the names changed. Let's call them Ron and Rita Margarita, which I, I'd say Ron and Rita because that's my in-law's name. So that's Lynn, Lynn's parents are Ron and Rita. And Margarita is a fun last name. And Lynn's mom, Rita, is a lot of fun. So we call her Rita Margarita. But so this is this is a real life story of Ron and Rita Margarita. Um but it's, it's not Lynn's parents. These are, this is a family I've worked with for a lot of years that lives in the mountains of Georgia. So if you think of Atlanta, Atlanta is a v very metropolitan city, tons of skyscrapers and uh, wonderfully old, beautiful homes and plenty of modern mansions. And not all that far from Atlanta, go about an hour north and you have all these wonderful communities that are very much in the Appalachian Mountains. And you have Blue Ridge, Georgia, there's Saute Nacucci, Georgia. There's Jasper, Georgia. There's Ellijay, Georgia. There's the Highlands. So lots of big canoe, lots of great places to live in the mountains. And Ron and Rita moved to a mountain house and, and they really liked it. And they, but it is a relatively spread out, isolated life. So your neighbors are not like next door. You have to drive a mile to see a neighbor. You have to you know, drive a couple miles to get to the store. So they had this thought of, wow, wouldn't it be great to move to the villages in, in Florida? And the villages in Florida sounds like a lot of fun. And I can tell you from lots of families that I've worked with over the years that are in the villages, absolutely love every single day. So Ron and Rita said, why don't we do this? Why don't we rent a house down in the villages for three months and just see how we like it? And, and they did that and they got this great place down in the villages and the first week seems pretty exciting. And then by the end of the first month, they were so exhausted by the overabundance of activities and people and social this and social that, that they said, guess what? We miss the mountains. 
Forget the villages. We're out. They actually broke their lease, their three-month rental. They paid extra to get out of the villages because for them, it was really not what they thought it would be. And they thought they might love it. And in the end, they actually ended up kind of hating it. Now, I know a lot of families that love the villages. And I, and there's that's not a knock against the villages at all. But it's about where, where do you want to end up? Ron and Rita realized that, hey, we love the mountains. So, and this is a this is the story of a happy retiree. They did that while Ron was still working. He had about a year left. So, in the summer of one of those years, he he this is even before people really worked remotely a whole lot. He worked remotely and and was able to make that financial decision and lifestyle decision before they retired. Imagine, hey, we're moving to the villages. We're going to buy a place. We're going to sell our place up here. That could end up being a real mess. So happy retirees figure out their their geographic moves, where they want to end up, where they want to live long-term or full-time, maybe where they want to have a second home. They do that way before they get to their ultimate retirement date. So again, number five, don't wait to test out something geographically. Don't wait to test out a move. Here's another mistake of an unhappy retirement is that's forgetting to or not giving your money some real sense of purpose. Again, Wall Street will direct you towards this thought of just accumulating a big pile of cash. Think of it almost like a cartoon, like just keep this big pile of cash. When in reality, happy retirees begin with the end in mind. They begin with their financial picture in mind, and that's why they're saving to begin with. They're not saving to have this big pile of money. You're not saving just so you can have a big pile of money or when you log on to your E-Trade account or Robinhood account or Schwab account or Vanguard account so that you can see this big dollar number. Yes, there's some economic security that goes into that, but it's really about what is the purpose of that for? And the happy retiree really has a, a very clear picture of what the purpose is. What is What are you so passionate about that you can't live without? Where are you to contribute your time and your financial efforts while you're in retirement? And that goes back to this concept of core pursuits, which we've, of course, talked about in other episodes. Happy retirees, of course, have 3.6 core pursuits. Unhappy retirees have 1.9. So the happy group has... almost four hobbies on steroids. The unhappy group has less than two. And yes, this is about activity, but it's also about the purpose of your money to begin with. What are you driving towards? What are you, how are you beginning your financial journey with the end in mind? And what is that end for you? Next, overly trading stocks. The happy retiree is more of an investor and less than less of a trader. And here we are in a post-GameStop world. And when I say post-GameStop, if you can remember, it wasn't that long ago where a group of five, six, seven million folks on Reddit, on a Wall Street chat room, essentially decided, hey, we should all go buy these stocks. And they pushed the prices up. And then a few days later, those stocks crashed. People lost millions and millions of dollars. Individual investors trading stocks and thinking of investing as a casino. The investing is hard enough to be a trader in and out in every any given day. It may be easy to figure out when to buy and may even be easy to figure out when to sell in any given period of time. But to be able to do that over and over and over and over again 
is very, very difficult. And if you take a look at how what I've seen happy retirees, how they invest their money, and, and there's no perfect answer to this. Uh, I'm partial to income investing, so I'm a big believer in reinvesting dividends. In fact, if you look historically over time, companies that grow their dividend, not necessarily the highest dividend yield, but companies that grow their dividend or initiate a dividend and do that consistently, if you look at a basket of stocks that only tracks that versus either non-dividend payers or companies that end up cutting dividends, which one do you think wins? Well, it's the, the dividend grower category that really wins over time. And I think that that goes back to folks that are trading stocks that are not necessarily dividend or income investors are putting themselves in a position where they have a really higher level of anxiety around money. If you are, time is our friend in investing. And if you think about most losses in markets have been not because of markets, but because of humans and human timing and human mistakes. If you take a look at the S&P 500 and you see where it was 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 50 years ago and 100 years ago, you look at the chart and you say, wow, it's done well over time. How could people lose money? Well, there are, are clearly and obviously periods of time where stocks do really badly. And when stocks do badly, people get nervous and investors get leery and weary of the stocks that they might own. And what happens, they get forced out of markets and the markets go back up and they get forced back into markets and they end up doing the reverse of what you should do. And they end up selling when stocks are low and buying when stocks are high. And that's a formula for disaster, really. So making a second career as a stock trader is very rarely a path to economic prosperity. It's prosperity. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with trading. In fact, day trading as far as in the overall marketplace is a hugely important piece of the market. It's, it helps markets function. It gives people better price discovery. And so there's nothing necessarily wrong with trading. But I, I, in my experience, you want to leave the trading to the Goldman Sachs trading floor of someone that does this 24-7 while the Asian markets are open or the European markets are open and you're, you're constantly buying and selling day and night and you're doing it for a living. When you're a retiree and you do this kind of part-time, hey, I'm just going to buy, buy and sell stocks once in a while, just very rarely ever works out in the long run. So the mistake would be to get even more active in your trading. Again, I think it's fine to be active in your planning and active in setting goals and active in monitoring, but actively trading can often lead to really the reverse of what we're trying to achieve. Lastly is, and don't drive off the road when I'm about to say that when you hear this, they drive BMWs. If we had a sound effect, I would use it. I remember back when I did our original research on the consumer and lifestyle habits of happy versus unhappy retirees. I remember one of the most fascinating points that came back, in fact, one of the reasons that this research ultimately became a book, the, the book you can retire sooner than you think, The Five Secrets of the Happiest Retirees, one of the data points that came back after, call it a month or so of, of really reviewing the data, was the, the question that, I, that we asked on the survey, which was, what kind of car do you drive? Pretty simple. And of, of course, as a reminder on our survey, we took the happy group, the top two quintiles of happiness, and we compared that to the habits of the bottom two quintiles of happiness. And, and what was interesting in the car question, and we just asked, what, what kind of car do you drive? What stood out to me is that the number one luxury car for the unhappy group 
number one was BMW. And I, I have no idea why really that's the case. I don't have an answer for that. In fact, I wrote uh, the BMW USA, the blog actually wrote about how my research was totally wrong, totally ridiculous that BMWs are still the ultimate driving machine. And, and, they, and they, listen, maybe they're right. And, honest, and I, quite frankly, have nothing against BMWs at all. Now, I don't own a BMW. I never have owned a BMW in full disclosure. And I don't know why, but I just... I never, I never have. And I did this research. I would never, now I can never buy a BMW, right? And I will tell you that over so many years, I'll, I'll, when I'll run into folks that have read this book and I'll talk to them about, you can retire sooner than you think. Think, Wes, I sold my BMW. Wes, I made George, my husband, sell his BMW. And I think he's a lot happier today for it. So here's the deal. So if you're, if you're retired and you drive a BMW, and again, I think if you're 20 and 25, you're listening, it's okay. You're not retired yet. These are mistakes that the, uh, the unhappy retirees make. And these are, let's call it the habits le- leading up to retirement. So if you're 20, you're cool. It's fine to be driving a BMW. But for some reason, this is a group that reports pretty high levels of unhappiness. So the results, BMW's top luxury car on the unhappy group all across America. Now, my guess is that the ultimate driving machine is also, I don't know if it's still a status symbol, but maybe for some people it's still a status status symbol. And anything that's high-end status that's purchased because it's supposed to make somebody feel better about themselves or their career, we know, you know that that doesn't work for long. It might work for, you might think it's going to work. You might, it might even work for a little while, but you know, long-term that doesn't work. And maybe that's the reason here is that there's this false hope of, oh, things are going to be better when I get this luxury performance vehicle. Perhaps also that they're a pain to fix. So if you, if you have a, an oil change on BMW is a lot. You have something wrong with the transmission on a BMW. It's, it's a lot. It's not like fixing a, a good old fashioned American car. Now it's not as though the happy group doesn't drive luxury cars. There, there, but there are plenty of non-BMW luxury cars on the list in, in the happy group. And again, here's the list in the happy group. They prefer the luxury brands of what? Number one, Lexus. And number two, Buick. And I guess you can call Buick a luxury brand. And pretty much every car has a kind of a base model and a luxury model. But the happy retiree tends to prefer Asian luxury car brands. And by the way, Ratio of three to one. So it's a three to one ratio that the happy retiree group prefers Asian luxury car brands. Again, don't ask me why. Maybe it's the fact that happy retirees are looking for comfort and cushion. And I guess if I think about a Lexus, that's kind of what you get. You get comfortable, you get cushion, you get quiet. I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. Now, of course, I did do a five-year cost comparison between the, the cost of ownership between a Lexus and a BMW. And the gap was, a, it was a big gap. So over five years, the average cost of owning a Lexus is almost 20% less expensive than owning a BMW. Cost of carry, not talking about the paint, what the car costs, but just the maintenance on the car. So in the final analysis, here's the happy and unhappy car list. So the happy cars, for what it's worth, Number one on the list, Lexus, then Nissan, then Hyundai, then Subaru, then Buick. Now you start to see that the happy list is very much towards the Asian car market. And again, I think of Asian cars, I think of Toyota, and I think of just super dependability. Not flashy, super dependable. 
Now, the unhappy car list, here's the unhappy list. Chrysler, Dodge, Kia, Mercury, and of course, BMW. So let's put this all together. If you think about this, if we're going to get to a place of financial freedom and God willing, retire sooner or be in a position to, this list really does make a lot of sense. First, you got to check your pessimism at the door. So this is how you avoid an unhappy retirement. You check your pessimism at the door and you really under, you have to have a fundamental belief that the U.S. economy or wherever you're investing is going to be better in the future than it is today. In fact, I refer to this as being a tomorrow investor, not a today investor, which goes back to also on this list, you don't need a second career stock trader. Traders are today investors. I think happy retirees are tomorrow investors. From a budget perspective, you want to make sure your rich ratio is over one. So it's not how much money that you have that really matters or coming in that matters. It's how much you have in relation to how much you need to spend. From a budgeting perspective, happy retirees, they don't stick their head in the sand. They face the financial reality of their own family economic circumstances and they plan for it. And as they plan for it and review it, they can continue to tweak it to make it better. Also, from a spending perspective, we want big ticket items to be done before we retire. So if there's cost overruns, let's say because of renovation, we can make up for that with extra months or maybe a year or so of work if it gets out of control. So you buy your big expensive toys or replace a roof or a big housing cost before you stop working. Speaking of housing, happy retirees, they don't wait to move, particularly in a post-COVID world where we've learned to be digital everything. Go test out a new geographic location long before you retire. I'm not talking about a year or two. I'm talking about in your 30s and 40s. If David Bach can do it with two kids still in middle school and high school and go from New York all the way to Florence, Italy, so can you. And ultimately, you need to give your money some sort of purpose, whether that's your own charitable work or life purpose, or it is a long list of core pursuits. These are hobbies on steroids that you just can't live without. If we can begin our financial planning with the end in mind, and maybe that, maybe that beginning is literally just thinking about two beach chairs in your favorite location or being at the top of a mountain overlooking a gorgeous view or being on your favorite bridge overlooking a river in a European city. Start thinking today about why you're saving money and what the purpose of that money is for, for your family and what it means long-term for all of you. And in the end, if you've got a BMW, trade it out for a Lexus. Of course, thank you so much for listening and being with us here on the Retire Sooner podcast. You can find us and our team online at wesmoss.com, W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. Send us ideas about shows you'd love to hear or guests you'd like to hear from. And remember, you can retire sooner than you think. Hey, y'all, this is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. 
This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information.